This is an ABC podcast. Just a warning, if you have small or sensitive ears around, there's a little bit of swearing in this episode. Hey, Steph. G'day, Annabelle. What do you think of Parliament House? It's a bit weird looking. I do feel like uh, that building's TripAdvisor reviews are going to be suffering a bit this year, if Uh, I'm honest. (laughs) Particularly among women. I mean, the truth is, like many parliamentary buildings around Australia, it was actually designed not so much with women in mind. Um, But this year, 2021, marks 100 years since the first woman entered an Australian parliament as an elected representative, and it has been a wild ride. Steph Tisdall. G'day. I am just inordinately pleased to be in a small confined space with you today. Thank you so much. (laughs) To talk about politics and women. So the things I know about you, apart from the fact that you are one of the smartest and funniest people I know. Stop it, Annabelle. Oh, look, I I ladle out all of the grease up the front. But um, (laughs) you are a comedian. Yes. You are kind of a secret failed lawyer like me, right? Studied law and then went, whoa! Just dropped out. Not doing that for a job. That seems shit. Yep. And now you're an actress, right? Uh, Apparently. (laughs) Isn't it weird? Well, I I wanted to just drop this while we're, you know, sort of sizing up to this topic about women and politics because you, in what I think could be just an act of massive over-preparation for this podcast, (laughs) are now playing a political strategist in the new series of Total Control. Yes, I know. How weird is it? So do you now feel like you're... You know, like you're super canny about politics? No, I'll be honest, no. And I used to be, I was like, I look back at my life and I go, when I was 15 and 16, Mm. right, my school was, teachers were always like, go and rep our school, you know, and I would just do it. And um, I were you was like, so into I would be honoured. And were you inside no, your brain thinking, not. I am going to lead the United Nations. <laughs> that is my destiny. Actually, kind of. I did want to work for the UN. You know, everybody has that dream, eh? Right. Like um, being a marine biologist. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but mine was human rights lawyer. Um, yeah, no, so I, like, I, but I was really, really into politics when I was a teenager. And then I just realised how much... It's ruined by people and by politics and by, you know what I mean? And and humanity isn't something, like, we crave rules and hierarchy, but we hate rules and hierarchy. And I just went, I actually don't ever want anything to do with that world. Right. So Mm -hmm. I have the basic knowledge and have a very purposeful ignorance. Right. Yes. So, look, the reason I called you here (laughs) (laughs) is that, like, so it's 100 years this year since the first woman was elected to any parliament. Really? Yeah, in in Australia. So Mm. that was Edith Cowan. She's on the, like, 50-buck note that nobody has anymore because (laughs) cash is yesterday, so sorry, Edith. (laughs) But, like, so... She was elected and it was like a, this complete scandal. It was in 1921. She, like, the Attorney General of Western Australia was this guy called Thomas Draper and he is like he's a bit of a feminist legend because he pushed through the legislation in Western Australia to allow women to run for parliament, right? Cool. So thanks, Thomas. And he was the member for West Perth. Mm. And so when the next election came round, Edith Cowan nominated for the seat of West Perth and beat him. Oh, so, whoa. <laughs> That's so, so cool. I know. But, like, I always feel a bit sorry for that guy because I'm like, thank you so much, Thomas, for clearing the way <laughs> for women to run for parliament <laughs> in WA and then totally getting whipped by one. <laughs> anyway, so, look, 
it's the hundred year anniversary, and I um, have always been really interested in watching the way women kind of get into Parliament and what happens mm. to them there. Like I think their experience is very different from men in Parliament and always has been over that mm. century. Yeah. And in order to commemorate this anniversary, I interviewed about a dozen and a half women, some of whom were like f- the first woman to do sorry, something. Sorry, a dozen and a half? Yeah. I just. Oh, sorry, no, I was just thinking 12.5. No. But now I understand. But do you know what? Thank you for the clarification. <laughs> it's not 12.5 women that I have interviewed. <laughs> that would have been difficult bisecting the last one. But so, like, so I've talked to, like, the first female prime minister, foreign minister, the first, mm. you know, Muslim woman in parliament, the first woman to serve in both parliaments, you know, the yeah. first woman to be elected to the Senate from New South Wales, the first um, female governor general, the first yeah. Indigenous woman in the parliament mm. and in the Senate. Um, so it's amazing how recent some of these mm. firsts are, like this whole, like women are still really just Mm. moving into the system. But some of the stories that they told me just freaked me out and I thought, well, I'm nearly 50 and I'm quite freaked out. You don't look a day over 16. Thank you, darling. Um, (laughs) But you are, like, much younger than me and I was just interested to see what your take would be on some of these stories, right? Because... Mm. So think of this as like this will be kind of essentially like a lady slide night where I will show yes. you some slides and you're here to make it less awkward and creepy. But That's I, your role. <laughs> but I No, but I love this. I love learning. I love hearing people's stories. Like that's essentially what it is, right. right? So one of the things that really freaked me about talking to all these women was just really realising how just the design of the parliament mm. sort of screams blokes. Like what they found when they move in there was a place that was like, explicitly and implicitly designed Mm. around a person who looked a certain way. And that has a huge impact on people's experiences when they serve there. I want to play this little thing from Anne Ali. She's a member for Cowan. She's a currently serving Labor MP. She is um, like a international security and terrorism expert. She came into Parliament. Yeah. She always hadn't been really a member of the ALP and they kind of headhunted her. And now she's the member for Cowan and she's the first Muslim woman ever to serve in the Australian Parliament. I just want to play you her impressions of what happened when she first walked into that building as an MP. Here she is. Turning up to Parliament the first time, it was all a bit surreal. Like, you know, because this Parliament's this big place. You get lost. I still get lost. After all these years, I still get lost. And I remember walking through the, the hall and passing portrait after portrait after portrait of these old white men and they all seem to be watching me with their eyes like following me with their eyes as if to say who the fuck let you in (laughs) (laughs) like what are you doing here (laughs) she is yeah we'll come back to that um, issue of the portraits all of the blokes a little bit later but like how much did you get to wander around parliament house when you were there like filming Oh, actually, mostly outside of it. I didn't go inside it much, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Couldn't get the security clearance. <laughs> exactly. Um, I remember I went there, though, when I was about 16. Right, yeah. And I just remember thinking it was really ugly and very clinical. Yep. That's what I can't stand about. Like, I don't like going there. It's very clinical. It's very colonial. It's very exclusive. Yep, feeling. it's built to be imposing. And like yeah. 90% of Parliament House is off limits to the public. Like mm. when it was built, there was this big thing about how you could walk on top of it and it was supposed to be symbolic of, you know, the mm. Australian people's supremacy over, you know, 
um, the people who are in the building, but actually you can only get into about 10% of it if you go there mm. like as a visitor. But one thing that really came out of these women that I talked to was this feeling that even the design and how the chamber works and stuff mm. is, is sort of presupposed on male voices. Like here's Carmen Lawrence. I'll just um, run this one by you. One of the things that struck me when I first entered the federal parliament, apart from the fact that it's a neo-fascist building, which I did dislike intensely <laughs> with great big spaces where shouting is actually required, and that's the first thing you notice as a woman, mm. that in the chamber itself, uh, to have an impact, you need to have a very strong voice because you'll get this wall of sound coming at you, which is amplified in that big theatre. Um, and for women, if they raise their voices, for many that means raising the pitch, and uh, the pitch of a woman's voice going up tends to be equated with shrieking. Wow. And sometimes, frankly, even to my ears, that's what it sounds like. It sounds shrill. See, isn't that interesting? Like, so interesting. Even the acoustics. Amazing. Yeah, wow. I would have never thought of that. She put that so well. Right, I know. She's very clever. Um, but that whole thing that I think probably never occurs to men because they're just, you know, interacting in the way that the parliament always has. Yeah. But it's harder and it's different if you're a woman because if you raise your voice, people think, well, now she's really lost her nut, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Julia Gillard sometimes, I remember when she was, I mean, she was a great parliamentary performer, but, mm. you know, would sort of, even she used to sort of be careful about her voice because if it yeah. went up too high. Well, she's got quite a deep voice too. Right. And Carmen Lawrence has got quite a deep voice. Mm. And I always thought that she did this thing where she pitched it low so that people would be obliged to listen, like so mm. that it wasn't a volume thing, it was like an authority type thing. How interesting. But we, oh, my God, you don't even think about those sorts of things, but that's incredible. Yeah, that whole space, I mean, that theatre mm. of, of the chamber, it's got a huge high vaulting ceiling. You can mm. see the flag through the glass roof, so it's like it's quite amazing design-wise, but mm. I think that the designers didn't really think about, oh, you know, what sort of issues is this going to raise for the women who serve in here? And we actually interviewed Ros Kelly, who was the first woman to answer questions in really? that chamber. Yeah, she was the first woman to be a minister in the lower house answering questions at question time. And she said, I had no one to copy. Like I had no, because I had of to course. find my own style. It's just really interesting thinking about those. I mean, I say early woman, but like Ros isn't even that old. Like she, this is, mm. we're talking about the eighties. So yeah, wow. all of this stuff is pretty recent. And that building, like new parliament house is, is so thoughtfully designed. Like there's so much thought that goes into it. For instance, like when you were wandering around, you know how there's those courtyards everywhere? Yeah, yeah. There's like fountains in the courtyards and they are all quite noisy fountains and they were put there, yeah. um, I'm not kidding about this, they were put there because it would allow people to have meetings in the courtyards but not be overheard by the people, you know, wow. on the table next door. So that's wow. the level of, like, design and thought that went into that building. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, but it didn't have a childcare centre. Um, yeah, of course. And yeah, it didn't yeah, yeah. have, like... <laughs> when was it designed? Well, it was built in the 80s yeah. um, and it was, you know, the result of this international design competition. It's an extraordinary building. Mm. But even at that time where there were, like, really appreciable numbers of women mm. in the parliament by then, it sort of has all these little flaws and ticks that every yeah. now and again just pop up and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I was made for blokes. And, it, you know, yeah. apart from that, there's, you know, the doors are incredibly heavy, right? Yes. A couple of our 
interviewees also noticed that it's really cold in there. Yeah. Because the air conditioning is actually set at a level that is comfortable for men in suits. That blows my mind. Right. But it's design and the way that it impacts on our lives. And what it means is that, like, when women get there, they're like, oh, they're sort of conscious at some level that, you know. Well, it's, it's, I think it's always those things, isn't it? It's always the, the, the micro, like the, the really small instances yep. of things that add up and make you question your identity. It's never the, right. it's never the overt sexism. You yep. know, if, you, if you're faced with overt sexism, you go, well, that person's an idiot. Yeah. When you're faced with noticing things about a building, yeah. like you have to talk about, you know, then you go, oh, this is way bigger. <laughs> And my voice isn't considered as highly as others, you know. Right. And if you get to the point where you're like having a nana about the um the air conditioning level, you're yeah. like you're listening to yourself and you go, Am I nuts? Am I like Yeah. Is this crazy? Yeah. I, I was just wondering, you know, well you, you speak in front of people a lot, right? Yeah. Like so and when you're doing stand up, mm. how do you are you conscious of like the level of your voice or raising your voice to, to talk over hecklers or anything like that? No, not at all. I, right. like, well, you've I, got I, a really deep voice too. Do I? Yeah. That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. Mm-hmm. No. It's very husky. It's it very is husky. Kind of like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't say that my voice is a thing. I will say though, and I mean this is kind of adjacent to what we're talking about, but as a woman it's not acceptable for me to not fit the society's norms, right? Right. So when I first started comedy, I was like, if I don't talk about the fact that I'm overweight, that's all I'm going to think about. And so all of my first lot of material was about my looks and it took a really long time to feel comfortable enough to even talk about anything else because I thought if they're thinking about it and I'm not saying it, then I've missed something, you know? That is so interesting because I think – that is like one thing that I've noticed from talking to all these women is they feel they've got this really quite well-developed plan in their heads mm. as to how they're going to overcome the fact that they are unlike the people around yes. them. Right. Yeah. And part of it is like, I will take care of this before somebody attacks me for it. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's a really, but it's a, it's an interesting way of being, isn't it? And it, yeah. it, it I think it's so insidious because if there's a lot of different people doing that and not talking about the fact that they're doing that, right. then you have this almost weirdly offensive attack plan that can put people offside anyway. You can't make the right. you know the headway that you're trying to make. Does that make sense? It's a, yeah, but it's also it's hard work, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. To be double thinking every step of your way, mm. whereas like maybe a male comedian would just be like, okay, which jeans am I wearing? Bang, I'm on exactly. stage. You know, like yep. they don't necessarily see all the mental work and emotional work that their yeah. female colleagues are going through just to even yeah. be on that because stage. Because you feel like you have to be one step ahead of the thoughts of the audience. So you go, just in case this person could be thinking this, I need to prove my worth by thinking this. Right. That's but exhausting. Think, but it must be the same when it comes to this, this politics. Like, how much do we care about women's clothing? Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Oh, my God, I've got so much good stuff to show you about that. This is a bit of sizzle in an upcoming episode. (laughs) Sizzle. But listen, like, it's still, you know, a factor for women in politics today, Mm. that design issue. But, like, 
Edith Cowan had the worst run of all because when she got elected in 1921 mm. to the WA Parliament, she was treated differently from the beginning. Like mm. there were like cartoons about her. Like everyone was commenting about, you know, oh my God, there's this woman in Parliament. <laughs> and she, um, like when she made her maiden speech, which is like an mm. old Westminster tradition and the convention in politics is when you make your first speech, Everybody sits down and shuts up. They do not interrupt mm. you or heckle you. I went and had a look at her, the hands out of her first speech. She was heckled or interrupted 15 times. Oh. And that had not happened to anyone before. And wow. she's, you can see her, like, I mean, I can't hear her because there's no recording, but you can see she's responding to the interjections. It's like she's just battling through. Mm. Like she's a really gutsy bird. She's kind of really, she's handling it beautifully. Do you think she knew that she was making history at that point? Well, she must have. I mean, she was a real like suffragist campaigner. So she was was all over women in parliament. And like there's this beautiful story actually um, about her on the campaign trail where her husband James, with whom she had like five kids, she had a crazy life. Like Mm. Her mum died when she was a baby and then her dad remarried and he murdered her stepmother and then was executed for her murder. Yeah. Right? So she had a pretty interesting... Normal. Yeah. Totally straightforward. Yeah. (laughs) Life. Um, Wow. But she married this guy who was very supportive of her push into politics. She was a great member of society and very active. And he Mm. went out and door knocked for her. And there's this great story in a biography of hers that says that James, the husband, knocked on this door one day to, like, you know, canvas for votes. And this really posh lady let him in. And she's like, oh, I'm glad. I I really need to talk to you about this woman, Edith Cowan, because as far as I understand it, her poor husband is dying of a broken heart at home. And he's like, madam. I am that husband and I'm fine. <laughs> so I kind of love him. But like, um, so here's the thing for Edith that was very weird, apart from being interrupted lots mm. of times, was that when she arrived in Parliament, she noticed no toilets for ladies. That's what I was going to say. Were there? Yeah. No. Wow. And look, you'd think that the sort of gentlemanly thing to do from the established members would be like, hey, maybe we should put a dunny in for Edith because, mm. you know, that would be nice. They didn't because they didn't think that there would ever be any other women. Like they thought that she was such a freak occurrence. Mm. So she had to go home to go to the toilet. Really? Yep. She lived not that far from Parliament House. So she used to pop home. God, that's awful. (laughs) I know. But do you know what the weirdest thing is? Mm. Like, so that happened to her. And you're like, oh, 1921, you know, we weren't that far into the whole experiment Mm. of chicks in politics. But the same thing happened in federal parliament because when the first women arrived in the federal parliament, which was in the 40s, no women's toilets there. Really? Yeah, and they still didn't put them in. And we'd got this footage from Nancy Butfield, who was elected from South Australia in 1955. Still no dunnies then. 1955? Right. Oh, wow. No, but like seriously, it goes on. We interviewed Kate Sullivan, who was elected to the Senate from Queensland in 1974. Mm-hmm. Still no ladies. Get out. I will not get out. And so <laughs> What she, about other people working in Parliament House? So right around where all the MPs' offices in the chambers are, mm. there was like in the Senate, there were two toilets outside the Senate mm-hmm. and they were labelled senators and gentlemen, right? So there were two. Yeah. And she... And a colleague um, from Western Australia from the, who was a Labor senator actually campaigned to have one of those two toilets yeah. made into a ladies' toilet. 
and they succeeded. But oh, what good. happened was that they just, like, it was the men's toilet, but they boarded up the urinal. So, oh. like, it's gorgeous. <laughs> and she said there was always these blokes still walking in because they're like, what? What? This is my toilet. <laughs> like, so, like, that was, like, oh, wow. I mean, I was one year old when that happened. And I'm just thinking, wow. how funny that it took so long for that even to happen. It's just the weirdest weirdest thing it is it's crazy <laughs> like it's crazy when you actually think about you know when it, there are so many different sort of issues when it comes to this and i, I don't want to go down this path but like to go down any um, path <laughs> um obviously i'm indigenous and i always think it's, it's funny when people sort of talk about um oh it happened so long ago get over it and i go it started 200 years ago you know like that's when it started right? the reality is that the generation, it's two generations, it's one generation ago. It is so It's so new. recent. And yeah. I can't believe that you can still sit down and talk to just like numerous women who were the first woman to do oh, something. Isn't that insane? Look, um, there's something else that kind of really blew my mind while we were researching this project. And like the, the other thing apart from the building that is designed around men is actually, you know, our electoral history, right? Like, so in the 1850s, say, in the colonies, they were starting to have their own elections and stuff. Like, the Australian colonies were sort of run from um, a distance by Britain, right? Yeah. And then so we were working towards this, like, oh, I don't know, we're separate colonies, all facing much the same issues. Maybe we should get together and make mm. decisions that we don't have to wait three months, you know, mm. to get an answer to when we... Somebody s- who didn't actually give a shit. Yeah. Right. So in those days, the colonial elections were held in pubs. Really? Yeah. So in the colony of New South Wales, the way that it would work was like the candidates would go to the pub and they would buy beers for voters and then the voters would vote, but they have to show their vote so that the um, candidate would know if the bribery had actually worked. There's like, wait, but weren't <laughs> women not allowed in pubs for a while? Yeah, they weren't. They didn't have the vote. So that was one of the arguments against women having the vote was like, but if, if they had the vote, they would have to go to the pub and that's no place for a woman. Yes. I, it's funny that I didn't even, I was like, the pubs instead of the vote. But it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that is fascinating. Right. So it was a kind of like... I don't know, just evolved as voting was a place that you did in a really blokey place. Therefore, it's a really bad idea to have women involved. Anyway, I'm still getting to the point. So where this all came together was um, two things happened. One, in 1894, South Australia uh, became the first place in the world where women had the vote Mm. and could run for parliament. Um, So that was like an amazing development and Mm. it was just like all women, right? But when the colonies came together and became the Federation of Australia in 1901, Mm. they had this question of, because, like, voting was different all around Australia. Like, in South Australia, women could vote, and Indigenous people could vote in South Australia, although practically hardly any did because nobody went and signed them onto the electoral roll, right? Like, so it was a kind of situation where the kind of technical reality was different from what actually happened. But one of the first acts that the new parliament passed was something called the Franchise Act, which was like, oh, hey, who is allowed to vote in this country in federal elections, right? So it was a big debate. And I always had been taught that, like, you know, that was a big moment for women in Mm. Australia because that was the moment that Australia became the first independent nation in the world that said, yes, women can vote Mm. and, yes, women can run for parliament too. So, like, yay, Australia, amazing moment. However... 
when the legislation was introduced to the parliament by this guy from called uh, Richard O'Connor, it was a straight out, like, if you're over 21, you get to vote, right? Mm. And then what happened is that this guy called Alexander Matheson, who was a senator from Western Australia, introduced an amendment. Mm. And his amendment was, I'll read it out to you, no Aboriginal native of Australia, Asia, Africa, or the islands of the Pacific, or persons of the half-blood, oh, yep, shall be entitled to have their name placed on the electoral roll unless so entitled under Section 41 of the Constitution, which means if your name's already on the roll somewhere, you can't be removed. But basically it means... Wow. Okay, so everyone shall have the vote except For Aboriginal any, people. Yeah, yeah. And a couple of other races that we've but chosen. But that was in line with the white Australia policy, right? Right. Mm. But like, so I knew that Aboriginal people had not got the vote at the same time as everyone else, right? Yeah. But I, what I hadn't known was that there is actually a link to women getting the vote and... First Nations people being kicked out of it. I'm going to, like, oh, wow. play okay. you. Right. So this is an excerpt from a speech that was actually given in the Senate. Now, it is, like, really offensive, right? Yeah. And in our program, Linda Burney reads it out. We talked about it and she, her view is, like, it is hard to hear, but you have to know that this stuff happened of in course. our parliament. Anyway, here's Linda Burney reading an actual quote from a speech that was given in the Senate in 1901. Surely it is absolutely repugnant to the greater number of people of the Commonwealth that an Aboriginal man, Aboriginal lubra or gin, a horrible, dirty, degraded creature, should have the same rights simply by virtue of being 21 years of age that we have after some debate today decided to give to your wives and daughters. It is utterly inappropriate to grant the franchise to the Aborigines or ask them to exercise an intelligent vote. Inasmuch as all that we are constrained to do is keep alive existing electoral rights in pursuance to Section 41 of the Constitution. Speechless. Uh, the language used then in the Parliament of Australia about my people, perhaps even relatives, is something that makes me feel quite sick, actually. Um, and it's very upsetting. Hmm. See, this is kind of your point, right? Like, this is so recent. Mm. So when Linda Burney was born, mm. her dad was not able to vote. Like, yeah. It's such a, and I feel like that Hansard record of that debate has just been like, feels like a snake that's just like been living there in the Hansard all these years. I c couldn't believe how extraordinary that language was, that you would use that in the most elevated. And professional and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's actually really emotional, you know, um, because as well I think that, that, we pretend that there's a level of progress that we've had. It's just not reality. And the reason why it's important to do stuff like what you're doing, you know, with, with uh, when we talk about like women and, and our historical place and all that sort of stuff is I honestly think that history is the most important thing mm. to give people empathy and just empathy, just understanding what's happening right now. If you don't know what's happened 
before, why would you give a shit? You go, but things are fine now. And if you stay in right. that headspace, that's you're apathetic. Yeah. You don't, you know. Whereas listening to something like that, you go, hmm, shit. You know what? That was really not that long ago, right? And this big moment for women in this country is also such a the opposite right. big moment for First Nations people. And when you're looking at two marginalised peoples and you see they're almost being traded off for the other, that shows so much about the p- pervasive nature yeah. of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's incredible. You need to know that stuff, even yeah. though it hurts and sucks to hear. It's not about feeling guilty about these things. It's about going, these things have happened yeah. and knowing that allows me to make better, more empathetic choices in the future. Yeah. I think just that causative role, like like from what that guy is saying, it's kind mm. of like, well, if we're going to give the vote to our wives and daughters, yeah. we don't want to pollute that right by, yeah. oh my God, it's just an extraordinary way to think. It's and just fascinating though. Just, right. just that idea of leveraging off one to get the other as well. Right. And look, odd. there were senators who spoke really strongly against this amendment, mm. but it had the support. And so in the end... They really, like, the proponents of the legislation were in this, they were like, well, this amendment has the majority support, so either we just pull the bill altogether Mm. or we accept that we're just disenfranchising this, like, chunk of the nation, like, the first bit of the nation. Like, it's an extraordinary call. Um, Mm. But that's what they did. And, like, it stayed that way you know, mm. for 60 years. So like you said, this is a really short period of history. And I think like if you are ageing Australia, which is completely ridiculous on, you know, the age of our federation, which is mm. like 120 years, mm. well, you know, First Nations people did not have the voting rights that are broadly accepted as basic mm. for half of that time. So, Which is just crazy. It's totally crazy. Yeah. But look, one thing that I think is really interesting is that if you look at First Nations people who are in parliaments around Australia, mm. the women outnumber the men. That's mm. not surprising to me, actually. Um, think about, like, the hero's tale, right? Mm-hmm. The, you know, when you're writing a story or whatever, it's almost like the more hardship that somebody goes through, the more fight they have. Or, you right. know, that's, that's, the, that's the story, right? Mm. If you're a woman and you're a woman from, from a marginalised community then you're marginalised for two different reasons. Mm. Don't you think that you're almost the the upside of that, which there are a few, but the upside of that is that you've got the strength to say, you will listen to me hmm. because you don't get listened to. The urge to want to be heard is maybe elevated, you know? And so maybe that's maybe that's it. You hang in there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, look, I mean, the women that we talked to who were the first women, Indigenous women in the Senate and the House of Reps, Nova mm. Paris and um, Linda Burney, have just, both of them, been through just extraordinary things, you know, mm. on their way into politics mm. and, and inside politics. And they are, like, think of them as, like, these bulletproof women. They're mm. extraordinary. Hey, um, we are nearly out of time. And I, I wanted to play one more thing just while we're talking about what life is like inside the parliament. It reminded me that, like, wherever there are people who are outnumbered, there's always, like, these little guerrilla warfare movements. Like, you know, (laughs) they kind of stick together and, like, certainly the kind of Indigenous caucus across parliament Mm. in Canberra, they have a great relationship, I think, across party lines in a way that um, other politicians don't, I think. But, um, But 
<laughs> there's also just out-and-out out rebellion. And I wanted to play you just this lovely little thing from this woman called Margaret Reynolds. She was a minister in the Hawke era, not a cabinet minister, but she mm -hmm. was like, you know, th there were a lot of men around. Mm. And she was a senator from Queensland who was a <laughs> feminist. So she got like, you know, nice. she got trouble. But um, yeah. here's what she <laughs> She was really annoyed by the portraits as well, like mm. Anne Ali. And the thing that annoyed her and her other handful of friends who were women mm. MPs was that in the Great Hall, this was in the old parliament, they had all these portraits hanging in the walls mm. and there were portraits of Dame Enid Lyons and Dorothy Tangney, who were the first women to be in the federal parliament. They yep. came in the 40s. But they were all hung, like, behind pillars and out of sight. <laughs> and all the guys are like, hello, I am Lord Cucumber Sandwich Smythe Third, and I opened this <laughs> parliament or whatever. Anyway, here's what she and her scaly mates did. <laughs> in King's Hall, there were the portraits of all the important um, prime ministers and senior people in the political parties. And there were only two women at the time. Dorothy Tangy, who was the first uh, woman senator elected from Western Australia, and Damien Lyons uh, from Tasmania. And we noticed very early on that those portraits were hidden behind two columns. So you walked in and you saw Whitlam and you saw Fraser and all these portraits, but you had to sort of really go looking for Dorothy and Enid. So we decided that we would move the portraits <laughs> and we'd move the women to the most prominent position. I think we actually moved, if not Goff, we might have moved Kerr. <laughs> There might have been a message in that. Anyway, we moved them so that as soon as you walked up the steps, you saw the two women, and we thought that was very appropriate. And the next day in question time, Senator Ruth Coleman complimented the president on having officially had them moved. <laughs> of course, he hadn't had anything to do with it. But sadly, I have to report... Within days, they were back behind the columns. <laughs> and so under what circumstances did you make this move? Was it a covert operation? Oh, yes, and we did have some men to help us, I have to confess. But the Status of Women Committee was regularly on the lookout for some practical things that we could do, and we thought this was more practical than some of the policy work that we were doing. So uh, that, was the, that was quite an achievement, and the fact that it's recorded in Hansard, I think, is, is a sufficient reward for us. Incredible. <laughs> I love that there's just rat bags throughout the entire history of <laughs> women in the parliament. I love that. <laughs> I know. But I, I also, like, what I, um, for me, I'd take away from that was that sometimes that symbolic thing means more yeah. than just the, the policy they're actually trying to change. Right, because changing the environment does change the way people feel living Absolutely. in it. Ah, Steph, you are, like, so good to talk to. <laughs> You're just like, I really enjoy Steph, having conversations This old thing. Yeah, this old thing. But listen, um. One thing that we haven't really kind of mentioned is this huge thing that's happened in politics this year, yes. like women really coming out and telling stories about the reality of their experiences mm. in politics with like harassment, being listened to. And so our interviewees, like said, some amazing stuff about that. So we might try and give that a crack next time we meet. Mm -hmm. And have a talk about that because, like, let's unpack it. it needs yeah. to be unpacked. Mm. Let's unpack it. Yes. Like we're moving house. <laughs> <laughs> I never move house. We're too messy. Can't pack. <laughs> All right. It's a date.
Thanks, Steph. Thank you. Annabelle? Steph? I don't know how you feel about plugging stuff. Oh, I feel cautiously okay. Well, <laughs> just so that you don't have to direct people to go and look at your face on a screen, <laughs> let me tell them, go and watch the show because it's got Annabelle Crabbe in it. It's got heaps of great women in it. Misrepresented, now that you mention it. You can watch it all on iView right now. All of it. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.